If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to That's a Hard No, the podcast about saying no and setting boundaries so you can become the authentic and empowered you that this world needs. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. Before we start, a quick reminder. While I am a licensed professional clinical counselor, this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy with a mental health professional. If you notice the content in this podcast triggers some big feelings, visit our website, hardnopodcast.com, for mental health resources and other helpful links. Thanks, Sarah. I'm so excited for our special guest today. Hello, and welcome back, Dr. Susan Landers. We are so excited to have you. Our last episode that you were on Spinning Plates, we had so many people responding to that episode, and I'm just so excited to have you back. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Y'all are fun to talk to, and I love what you're doing. Oh, well, thank you. We love what you're doing, so... The Mutual Admiration Society. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> so today we plan to talk about life in postpartum, which I cannot tell you how much this is resonating with me <laughs> as I am in the thick of it going through my fourth postpartum journey. And it's not talked about enough the challenges, and it's all so different. And even though in a way, yes, I'm seasoned as this is my fourth time, this fourth postpartum journey has been so different than the other ones. So I'm so happy that you can be a resource to our listeners. Oh, I'm happy to be that. Uh, Matrescence is the name for that period that women go through while they're pregnant, but mostly having a baby and becoming mothers. Mm -hmm. It is a definite milestone, a a big transition in life. Mm -hmm. And you're right, Sarah, we don't talk about it enough. Women who are working, who have an identity, who are professional, who have a good relationship with their partner or husband, sometimes find the shift over to being a mom, to having another little human totally dependent on you, to be quite stark, quite challenging. It is not an easy transition for anybody. It's probably easier if you really want to have a baby, if you really planned this pregnancy, if you really want this baby. Mm -hmm. But you know, there are a lot of women who go into pregnancy 
ambivalent about having a baby or they may not be sure how they're going to be a mother. And so matrescence, that period of becoming a mother, is a really crucial time for women. Boy, you are speaking to me because we got married, had a baby, bought a house all within the span of 10 months. Mm. (laughs) And at the time, I had a pretty high-level job, and I was making more than my husband, and the plan was baby was going to go in daycare, and I was going to go back to my job. And we didn't really plan it. We just kind of at the last second decided, I decided I couldn't, I couldn't leave and I wanted to stay home. So not only was it the becoming a mother, it was all of a sudden I gave up a career. I was staying home. It was like you said, a major life change. And I I hadn't heard that word before, but I'm glad there is a word for that because it's such an important Mm -hmm. milestone, as you say. And And the other thing is I always tell people, you know, just being pregnant is hard. It is literally hard work. And then, you know, having the baby, recovering from the baby, right? keeping a baby alive. (laughs) Literally. That's all really, really difficult stuff. And everyone just like they say, well, six billion people. It's done all the time. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. My daughter-in-law said that she was scared of being pregnant. And I said, you're really scared of being pregnant. That's relatively biologically safe. And once you get pregnant, 95% of women have a healthy delivery. And she said, yeah, I'm scared of that part. And I said, wow, I was scared of the other part, the Mm -hmm. raising a baby, raising a child. And she said, oh, no, I can do that. I have a degree in childhood education. I'm fine. And I went, well, okay. Mm -hmm. So we just need to work on you being not so scared to get pregnant. But a lot of women have fears or are they are ambivalent. One of my daughters was pretty anxious about having a baby and she had a generalized anxiety disorder anyway. And she found that during her pregnancy, she started worrying about things in an excessive way. Hmm. And she, you know, she called me up and said, Mom, what should I do? And I said, Well, everything's probably gonna be fine, although she did have some high blood pressures. And I encouraged her to talk to her doctor and her uh, therapist, her psychotherapist. And unfortunately, she decided to stop her medication during pregnancy, which I was not in favor of. uh, But that turned out to be not a very good decision. So her anxiety then became sort of out of control. And she had a rough time with her matrescence with her period of going from a professional nurse to being a full-time mom. Mm -hmm. And you bring up something really important is that it's, again, not talked about enough, but if there is already a mental disorder that you're going through, so if you have anxiety, if you have depression, oftentimes during pregnancy and especially postpartum, those are exacerbated. Exactly. It is important that, you know, you are aware of that. And, you know, for me, and we've, we talk about this a lot, but it's, it's those expectations. Mm -hmm. I think as, as women, we have these expectations and I am so guilty of it (laughs) because I've done this. I did this three other times going into this fourth pregnancy, which was planned. We wanted a big family. 
I also had an expectation of, okay, I'm going to have full-time help this time. I had a vision of what things were going to be like. And that vision, it came to fruition a little bit. But a lot of that was these like unmet expectations of what Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, my body was going to be like again, or getting back into working and, you know, owning a business and all of these things. And it was just then your brain starts to play these mind tricks. I call it the shitty committee, you know, that meets in my head. And it's like, you think that you're failing as a mom and the demand for breastfeeding. And especially in the world today where there's a shortage, a formula shortage and, you know, all of this, it's just so much pressure. And I really want to thank you for giving us permission to, you know, talk about this, to accept ourselves during this stage, during this matrescence, during this fourth trimester, mm-hmm. because this topic, and especially with the anxiety and the depression, the postpartum, it, it's just, it's, it's really hard. My postpartum depression occurred, uh, Sarah, after the birth of my third child, and it occurred late. She was probably six mm. or seven months old. Most postpartum depression occurs within the first three to six months. Mm-hmm. And mine was exacerbated by a move to a new city and a new job, mm-hmm. leaving my support system, all my friends. Oh, it's just so much. And I was just overwhelmed with a third child, all things new, home, neighborhood, schools, you name it. And she was an easy baby. She was easy. Breastfeeding her was no trouble. And still, I got very, very depressed. It took me a while to figure out what was going on. I was in a bad mood. I wasn't sleeping well. I would wake up very early in the morning and just kind of worry excessively about things. And my children were fine. They were doing fine, all three of them. I would um, fuss at my husband. I would not want to talk to a friend. I was just ruminating over how bad everything was, and I didn't want any help from anybody. And so it took me a while to figure out that my bad mood was really a depressed mood. And a friend of mine at work said, you really might have postpartum depression. And so I saw a psychotherapist, and with his cognitive behavioral therapy and a medication, I got well pretty easily within about four to six months. Mm -hmm. So in retrospect, I want mothers to know that what they're doing when they have a baby is a huge big deal. It's a huge identity Mm -hmm. shift. Mm -hmm. And you have all these hormone changes. Your progestin and your estrogen go down acutely after delivery. And you're adjusting to new hormones if you're nursing, prolactin and oxytocin. And you're adjusting to all the demands of taking care of baby. And so if you throw in anything else on top of that, fighting with your spouse, a job change, a house change. Sleep deprivation. Sleep deprivation. Mm -hmm. All of that contributes and can mount up to just more than any normal, balanced person can handle. 
You know, mm-hmm. 10% of mothers have postpartum depression. That is really pretty common. And if you have depression or anxiety ahead of time, or if you have had a previous experience with depression, you might be at a higher risk of developing it. If you've had a preterm baby or you've suffered through the NICU trauma of having a sick baby, Mm -hmm. that makes you more susceptible as well to either postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. And also, I think it's important to mention that if you have other kids as well, and there's more demands that are placed Mm -hmm. on you, and you're not able to meet the needs of your baby at that time and of yourself, that can add a whole other layer. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, when you're the mother of your first one, you might feel like you don't know what you're doing. And you might need reassurance from your spouse or partner or your family that you're doing a good job. And those things really matter to new moms. Mm -hmm. But by the time you have your second or third, people assume you know what you're doing. But it's different because you've got this other child who needs you. So you might have one child nursing on one side and another kid Mm -hmm. wanting you to read a book on the other side. And that is not an easy task. Right. That takes a lot of patience, a lot of tolerance, a lot of help and support. You know, you're a different parent. You're a new parent at every age and stage of your child. And just because something worked once, that doesn't mean that that's then the standard. There's a lot of pivoting and adjusting and rebirthing yourself, reparenting yourself. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I always tell new mothers or those who are expecting their second, you know, it's not additional uh, difficulty. It's exponential each time you have one. Right. Um, and it's, you know, you go from being able to do man-to-man defense to having to do zone defense. <laughs> you know? um, but it also brings to mind, Sarah, what you told us earlier this season is that with your last baby, um, Tristan, right? I'm blanking mm-hmm. out for a second. I'm tired. I know. Uh, I can't keep them straight. <laughs> um, you had some postpartum and it occurred to you in hindsight that you had had some postpartum depression with your previous children. And so I think I think women are so conditioned to kind of like toughen up and there's so many mothers in the world you can do it like they don't either they don't recognize it or they don't speak up or mm-hmm. they think, well, I've been through this already. I should know how to do this. And instead of mm-hmm. reaching for help, there's a lot of the shitty committee yelling at them. The baby blues are common, very common. Two to three weeks after delivery, we're all tired. We're sort of down in the dumps. We're really exhausted. Mm-hmm. You know, the laundry, the feeding, everything has snowballed. And it's normal to feel a little bit depressed and down. Mm -hmm. But if it persists after that, that's when we need to really think about whether or not a mom could have postpartum depression. Yeah. And I think for me, being in the mental health space, I had a lot of education. And so I knew what coping mechanisms to do, but I didn't realize the severity because as both of you have said, like when you're a first time parent, you really don't know. Right. And so 
I remember Mm -hmm. having a very difficult time with nursing with my first. Mm. He had a lip and tongue tie that I had no idea what that even was. I ended up going to all of these lactation appointments and And granted, this was just five years ago when I had him, but the narrative, what I was always told was breast is best. And Mm -hmm. so I was like afraid of my pump. I didn't want to do anything to lose that bond or whatever it was, paying out of pocket these crazy amounts of money to see these specialists. Mm. The beautiful thing is, is that I am, you know, a a highly motivated person. I was determined to make breastfeeding work. We did get the lip and tongue tie revised. And so that was something I was able to add to my knowledge bucket of like, okay, now I know this. So, you know, I can learn from it moving forward. We were able to do the breastfeeding, but then I felt like I had lost like five weeks with the bonding experience. So that put, I'm already failing as a mom. And so like, Mm. it was really hard for me to get out of that. Plus my husband and I being, you know, the naive newlyweds that we were, because I can relate to you, Heather, we got married, bought a house, had a baby, and we both changed jobs. I thought that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. And I tried, I tried Mm -hmm. for six months. And I just told my husband, I was like, I don't feel like myself. Something is missing. How can we make this work? Mm. Once I was able to figure myself out and understand what I needed, I was able to work through, plus with therapy, work through that depression. And it did get better. The second one I had a little bit, but not as bad. But then going to Tristan, he was my pandemic baby. Mm. He was born three months after the stay-at-home order went into effect. And so my anxiety was through the roof, plus having that depression because of the isolation, the lack of support, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, the expectations that were placed on me because I had two toddlers plus a baby. That is a lot. That is a lot. I want to say an extra word about breastfeeding because 80% of American moms intend to breastfeed and start breastfeeding in the hospital. And breastfeeding is not easy for the average mom. Mm -mm. I had trouble with my second one. She probably had a tongue tie and I didn't recognize it and I had sore nipples and they were raw and bleeding and I had engorgement and mastitis and I nursed through all of that because I was so motivated to make it work but man it hurt yeah and I cried and I was discouraged my husband kept saying you're okay you're okay he would massage my breasts and help me and And, you know, you do pumping, and when you're engorged, you do anything to get the milk out of your breast. The baby was fine, and I feel like I bonded with her fine. But the difficulty of breastfeeding is so personal for so many women. And if you think you have trouble, I want you to know that it's common to have trouble. It's common to have sore nipples and problems with latch. It's very common to need help with engorgement. Lots of moms suffer through some mastitis. Lots of people need help with their latch after the delivery. And if I hadn't been through that myself, I don't think I would have 
believed it. My first one was easy. I mean, and every baby is different. That's the other thing that is so astonishing. My first and my third breastfed like, you know, rolling off a log. It was only the second one that was difficult. But I remember the pain and the crying, thinking, I'm not a good mother. Why can't I do this? What's wrong? And you just tell yourself, you just go to these negative tapes and beat up on yourself when, in fact, it is a medical problem. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that formula feeding does not hurt babies. Correct. A lot of women decide to either pump their milk and bottle feed or switch to formula feeding, no one is a bad mother when they decide to do that. Nutrition is what is important. We can bond with our babies even if we're bottle or formula feeding them. I just want to be sure moms hear that and understand that. And I want to pause for a moment, too, because that narrative is so important to be mindful of. And Kristen Neff has amazing work on self-compassion. And so, Susan, some of the things that you were saying in regards to this is normal, you're doing a great job, your baby is fed, regardless of which way you decide to feed, those types of things that we say to ourselves, it's so important that we put those on repeat Mm -hmm. so that we can be showing up and being kind to ourselves through this very difficult transition. We're going to take a short break. That's a Hard No is brought to you by Clever Girl Marketing, my full-service agency specializing in smart, strategic marketing solutions for businesses and nonprofits. Okay, so you're probably wondering, Heather, what's with the podcast about boundaries? Why not marketing? Well, maybe in the future, but for now, it actually does relate. So bear with me here. Smart marketing, strategic marketing, requires knowing what to say no to and why. Businesses and nonprofits get inundated with marketing options and offers every day. We help you cut through all that noise, focus on your specific needs, and develop actionable strategies that are doable and actually make sense. Whether it's websites, SEO, email, social, or traditional channels, we're experienced in all of it. So if you need help figuring out your marketing, visit our website, clevergrowmarketing.com, and get in touch. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris, and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection, and interview top thought leaders, game changers, and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover, and how to be brave. So in addition to the mental aspects that postpartum has on a woman, I am curious if you can shed some light about the physicality because this postpartum having 
four babies in five years, I have actually developed pelvic organ prolapse. And so I have been seeking pelvic floor physical therapy. And so I'm curious if you can kind of talk a little bit about the physical things that women go through postpartum as well. Oh, that's a great question. Physically, uh, our bodies are hugely different. Again, because of the effect of the hormones and the changes during pregnancy, during labor and delivery. If you're lucky enough to have a healthy vaginal delivery, your pelvis has um, expanded quite a bit and all of that requires readjusting and your vagina stretches and has to stretch back. If you've had rips or an episiotomy, that has to heal, and all of that takes time. Mm -hmm. Your uterus has to contract down, and your breasts are filling with milk, and your prolactin and oxytocin hormones are surging, and all of that affects your body. The good thing about oxytocin is that it makes you feel wonderful about snuggling with and cuddling and holding your baby. The thing about prolactin that's not so good is that it makes lots and lots of milk, and sometimes it's difficult to adjust mm -hmm. to having high milk production. So all of those different changes, and some moms might have low milk production, all of those different changes require adjustments. There's some pain involved for women who have to have a C-section. There's even more of an adjustment because of the pain after surgery and discomfort holding and feeding your baby. All of those procedures require physical adjustments in addition to emotional adjustments. Your body takes about six to eight weeks to readjust physically. And how long do you feel like it takes to truly heal? So you're saying six to eight weeks to readjust. How long do you feel it takes for a postpartum body to actually heal to get back to maybe its yeah, um, baseline? Sarah, I think it's more like six months to a year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I just wanted everybody to hear that. That I, I was queuing you up because I wanted to really <laughs> emphasize that this whole, especially with social media, yeah, women think they're supposed to be skinny right away and be able to exercise full tilt mm -hmm. right away, and that's not the case. It is a major mm -hmm. bodily change to have a baby and deliver a baby. And I don't think, and I was pretty fit after my second and third ones, I don't think I was really back to totally normal until 6 to 12 months. And when you think about the emotional aspects of adjusting to having a baby— especially if you have a difficult baby, it may even take more time than that to adjust. Mm -hmm. If your baby doesn't sleep through the night for the whole first year, you're going to be tired and 
not prone to exercise and not getting enough sleep, and maybe your nerves are on edge, six months to a year is just a good general amount of time that moms should give themselves to settle back to a body that you recognize. And I think it's important to to note that our bodies are so beautiful and the way that they support us during different times of our life. And so during pregnancy, everybody, yes, there's that standard of, you know, uh, a healthy weight gain, but really it's what your body needs. If you intuitively listen to your body, it's going to support you with what it needs. The same for, you know, women that do choose to breastfeed, their bodies may hang on to, you know, fat, for a while longer to help promote that nourishment that the baby needs. And so there is no one size fits all or one standard. Right. I can't tell you how many new moms I know who've beaten themselves up. One in particular I'm thinking of who just had so much difficulty breastfeeding. And I just said, you know, you don't have to breastfeed. You're not a bad mom if you if you don't breastfeed. And there was so much guilt because as you say, Sarah, there's all these social media images we see of these skinny moms and perfectly nursing babies. And we just have to get all that out of our heads. Yes. So Susan, what would be if you can reframe that? And if there is a mom listening that maybe has trouble breastfeeding or just chose for her mental and emotional well-being that she didn't want to continue breastfeeding, what is a message that you could say to her that she can kind of play on repeat for herself? Difficulties breastfeeding are more common than most mothers think. We're not born knowing how to nurse. We're in a society where moms are relatively separate from the village that used to teach us all how to breastfeed. Aunts and mothers and grandmothers and friends and neighbors. And so when we can't breastfeed, when there's a problem, we tend to blame ourselves and feel guilty. It's nothing to feel guilty about. Lots of women have trouble. It's wonderful if you can breastfeed, but it is not the be-all and end-all to bond with your baby. Women have been formula feeding their babies And that's fine, and they can bond with their babies normally. The most important thing for raising your baby is, well, there are two. One is to love it and care for it, and the other is to provide nutrition. If breastfeeding does not provide adequate nutrition, if it is trouble for mom, it's perfectly acceptable to formula feed your baby My own daughter decided that she wanted to pump her milk and bottle feed because she didn't want to take a chance of having another problem with breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And I said, Mm -hmm. fine, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. I just want you to be happy with how you are nourishing your baby. And then when the baby didn't gain weight well and the pediatrician wanted to add formula powder, she felt guilty again. And I said, honey, it's not a big deal. We can even switch to formula if you want to. You just want your baby to grow well 
and you just want to take good care of your baby. Not everyone can breastfeed. And she had huge volumes of very thin milk. It was like she was making skim milk. Mm. And her little baby didn't grow very well. So for moms who cannot breastfeed, have a problem, choose not to breastfeed, I urge them to think that they are normal to formula feed. They're normal to want to formula feed. Many moms find it easier to formula feed. I have several good friends who chose to formula feed. And when I asked them why, they just said, I just thought it was easier and it worked out for me and my family. So I don't want any mom to think breastfeeding is a a rite of passage of being the best mother. It's not. It's something that's wonderful to do when it works. It feels great. And if your baby's growing, that's wonderful. But it is not a be-all or end-all to be a good mother. And I think that this is a really important message that it is important to be selfish during this time for the mother to make sure that she's doing what she needs to provide the stability and to provide the emotional well-being for her for her kids. And so if you find yourself in a place that you are trying to, you know, fit into this expectation that you have for yourself and it's not working and it's creating a lot of distress, stop. Stop doing the things that are making you not be able to be your best version for these little ones and start to do what feels in alignment Mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. I totally agree. So Susan, you talked about your experience with postpartum depression and how, you know, the, what the difference is between postpartum and baby blues. Can you think a little bit about partners, spouses, family members, and what they should look for, um, in their, you know, the the new mom in their life and, you know, what they should look for and how to breach the subject with them? Sure. Um, The people who love us need to watch out for our being moody, down in the dumps, whining, crying, saying we can't take care of our baby, um, saying that we can't take care of ourselves, not taking a shower, not washing our hair, not able to go to sleep. Any of those behaviors are very abnormal. And a spouse or partner would need to say, honey, I'm really worried about you. Taking care of the baby is difficult and and you don't seem to be able to handle that right now. And so I want to help you more, and I want you to get some care. There are really quick and easy screening tools that both pediatricians and obstetricians can provide for the mom or any member of her family so she can assess and they can assess where mom is. Women be 
honest Mm -hmm. in these assessments Mm -hmm. because I think at least women that come into my office, I said during these postpartum visits, your six-week checkup, or even the pediatrician's office, they do provide this assessment, but women are so scared. Women are so scared to be honest that they aren't finding joy in the things that they used to, or that they're maybe yelling more or, um, you know, having a hard time connecting with the baby because they feel like if I am honest about this, then the pediatrician is going to, you know, Mm -hmm. report me or that, you know, something's wrong with me. And the reality is in order for you to get the support that you need, be honest because you're not alone. That is a great point, Sarah. Um, Postpartum depression is a medical condition. It is treatable with behavioral therapy and or medication. It resolves 95 times out of 100. It is a medical condition. It is a neurotransmitter disruption that's related to having a baby, and it is common For moms who feel bad about this experience, please hear me say this is very common. This is nothing to be ashamed of. It is totally treatable. It is just like, well, it's not quite like strep throat, but you get the point. It's not Mm -hmm. anything to be embarrassed about. 10% of women have postpartum depression, and probably 15 or 20% of women have some kind of postpartum anxiety. It's very common. Having a baby nowadays is tough. Women take on so much and they get this false notion of everything is supposed to be wonderful from Mm -hmm. Instagram and Facebook when in fact having a baby and juggling your job, your baby, your family, your other children is extremely difficult. And some of us don't make it through quite so easily. I want to pick up on something you said, Sarah, and that was not connecting with the baby. I know that another, Mm -hmm. I've talked with a couple of young moms who told me that they just felt indifferent towards their baby. They just didn't really care and, and thought they were just like horrible people. I must be a sociopath if I can't connect with my baby. Right. And, and really it's just a symptom. And some mothers even have intrusive thoughts like, oh, Mm -hmm. what if I hurt my baby? Oh, what if I put him face down to sleep instead of face up? Oh, uh, am I a bad mother? Oh, what if I let my baby slip in the tub? Uh, You know, these crazy, brief, anxious thoughts may be normal, but If you have lots of them, if you really think about hurting your baby or you think about hurting yourself, that's when you need to talk to a care provider. Mm -hmm. I think the rule of thumb with this is that, yes, we all have intrusive thoughts. And some of the common ones that I hear in my space is that, you know, your baby's crying and you think, what if I just put a pillow over their head, right? Or if you're, you know, walking um, down the stairs and you, and you have this intrusive thought of, what if I just threw my child down the steps, right? Like right. these intrusive thoughts, that first thought is not your fault. Right. It's about what happens afterwards. And if you are, if you have that thought and you feel relieved, 
that is psychosis. That is something to get immediate attention. Whereas if you are in distress, if you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just had that thought. Right. That's normal to have that. Yeah. The other thing I want to tell any new moms is that when babies cry, it's extremely irritating. We consider it noxious stimulation. And mothers tune into their baby's cry in order to care for them. And some babies cry more than others. And some kids have more shrill cries. And that can really wear down a new mom, especially mm-hmm. if she's sleep deprived, not eating well, not sleeping well, in a, in a low mood. An infant that is difficult or an infant that's crying a lot can be too much. It is very easy to get overwhelmed when you have a baby that won't sleep or is crying a lot. And so feeling hopeless briefly can be normal if it persists and you feel hopeless or like you want to hurt the baby. That's not normal. And you do need to reach out to someone. We talk about overstimulation all of the time, and it is mm-hmm. it is a real thing. And it's also okay. It is okay for the baby to cry. And so if you do have a colicky baby or a baby that does have more of that overstimulating cry, make sure that, you know, as long as the baby's safe, you know, allow the baby to cry, go get some fresh air, take a good deep breath, and then come back so that you don't do something impulsively in those moments. That's great advice. You know, having a baby, the whole period postpartum, the whole six to 12 months that we've been talking about is no easy feat. It is a major change in your life. It is a major change in your body. It is a new human being that you are caring for. And I think we need to talk about it more in terms of a major life passage. Having a baby is not nothing. Mm -hmm. It is a big deal, and moms really should not think that they have to do this perfectly, especially if we feel alone. Our society has really separated moms from each other and from their support systems. God knows during the pandemic, The pandemic moms had a terrible time connecting and feeling supported. And so it's a little better now. But for those of you who are feeling disconnected and not supporting, please, please reach out. There are people who love you and who want to help you and who understand that what you are going through is difficult. And relationally, too, it's really important, and this is definitely a conversation for another day, but check in with your partner as well, because postpartum does affect the fathers as well. And so making sure that just as much as your partner's checking in with you, you're checking in with them as well. Because there is added stress, maybe if they're the, you know, sole financial provider or they're not getting the sleep that they need, you know, there are things to be mindful of as well. Well, Susan, this has been a wonderful conversation and we really appreciate your willingness to be so open and discuss all these, the different elements of postpartum life and the different stages we go through and 
we just love having you here. You're always a great conversation. So, Oh, Heather, you're so sweet. You and Sarah are doing great work. I love what y'all are doing with this podcast, and I love talking about these issues, normalizing all the things, all the challenges that moms are going through when they have babies. Okay, so that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com, for this episode's show notes, past episodes, downloadables, and links to resources. Also, you'll find links to each of our websites, clevergirlmarketing.com and purposefulgrowthandwellness.com. And make sure to follow us and get in touch with us on social. We're at hardknowpodcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And please do us a huge favor. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you listen so others can find us too. And if you have a friend or family member who you think could benefit from this, you know, why not just send them a little text with a link to our podcast? Just like a little nudge, nudge, hint, hint. (laughs) Thank you to our friends and family, our villagers for listening and your continued support. That's a Hard No is a joint production of Clever Girl Marketing and Purposeful Growth and Wellness. Marketing and Production Coordinator, Mara Del Rosario. Production Support, Evergreen Podcast, Noah Fouts, Producer. Music by Gigi Riggs. Until next time, thanks for listening. And remember, saying no isn't just okay. Saying no is the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. So do it. Find your no, then say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.